the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Veris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And today, Ed, we're honored we have Dr. Reginald Lee on the line. I know you've been reading some of his stuff, uh, and I've read his book. He has uh, written a fantastic book that I can't wait to talk to him about called Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, How Capacity Management <laughs> Enables Improved Cost and Cash Flow Management. Uh, just before we get started, uh, Reginald, uh, I want to just read out your bio. He, uh, he's an advisor and researcher in the areas of cash flow, capacity management, and profitability. Uh, He's got a deep background in engineering and math, has created tools and models that have helped executives and businesses of all types improve the management of cash flow and other financial data. Uh, He's worked with global companies, including Ernst & Young, General Motors, IBM, and Oracle, DuPont, Home Depot, Lockheed, Office Depot, and the list goes on. He's got a PhD in mechanical engineering, from the University of Dayton and is the author of three books and over 40 published articles and white papers. He's a feature writer for Journal of Corporate Accounting and Finance and a contributor to the Cincinnati Business Courier. Dr. Lee, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, This is going to be wonderful. You know, Reginald, I think we met because I had written a book review on the end of accounting on my LinkedIn post. And that touched off a debate on managerial accounting. And a guy came in, and I've talked to this gentleman, by the way, Gary Kokins. He's a big cost accountant, ABC. And you and him kind of got in a tussle <laughs> about the relevance <laughs> of cost accounting. And I, I read your post, I, uh, your comments, and I said, oh, I love this guy. So um, I think we reached out to one another. And uh, it's one of the things I love about posting comments. You'll never convince anybody but you might find somebody that's trolling out there who's of like mind. So you're right. <laughs> I think that's you're absolutely how, right. That's how we came together. And then uh, you were you were gracious enough. You sent me some articles, which I've also sent on to Ed. One I really enjoyed was how we <clears throat> how we overstate ROI on improvement mm. projects. But then you sent me your book, Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, um, which I guess was published this year. Is that right? Yes, earlier this year. Excellent. And and in there, I learned that your father was an accountant. 
You know, he was, and unfortunately we lost him when I was in graduate school because I would have loved to have shared some of these ideas with him to get some of his feedback on him. I bet. So you've got an engineering and math background. You're the founder of what I love this name, the Cash Flow Innovation Lab. Mm. How, how did you how did you get here, Reginald? How do you how do you get to going from engineering and math to tangling with cost accountants or accountants in general? Well, it's an interesting story. I um, had gone to a manufacturing leadership uh, class or program up at Harvard a number of years ago. And, uh, in fact, Bob Kaplan was one of, the, um, uh, one of the professors in the class, and so I learned a little bit about activity-based costing. Developed a few friends, came home. I was married at the time and said, hey, let's go, go do a Ph.D. up in uh, Boston. I was living in Dayton, had a little, little baby. She's now 25. But my wife said, no way. There's absolutely no way that this is going to happen. So I thought, well, I'd like to have a doctorate in something. So I went back to the University of Dayton and said, uh, I had a really good friend. His name was Saul Young. He was a really innovative thinker in this space. And I said, hey, Saul, I'd really like to do a doctorate, but we don't have a PhD program at Dayton. Do you think I could do it in engineering, but then explain engineering problems or solutions uh, to business people as well? So to learn a little bit about business so I can explain not only the engineering solution, but the business benefits of the um, engineering benefits to business folks. And Saul said, it's a good idea. So Saul was an industrial engineer from Stanford, but he taught in a business school, so he understood both sides. So he went to the engineering school and proposed it, and they loved the idea. And so as I uh, started studying, the interesting thing, Ron, was I was a pure engineer. I mean, I looked at life, and if I'm drinking water, I'm probably thinking through the differential equations associated with water flow, right? But So I started looking at this accounting stuff, and I said, this makes no sense at all. It's just, I don't get it. You may, I understood what it was that they were trying to do, but mathematically it didn't make any sense. So uh, once I finished the doctorate, I started looking into it more and said, well, what would it look like if an engineer modeled this cash flow thing? And so really what I did was I just applied engineering concepts to the idea of cash flow and then tried to business-tize it, if that's a word, um, to make it accessible to folks. So really that's, that's how we got here. So the first book is really... Um, that that model of cash flow to to explain here's how it's different from what accounting is telling you. Right. No, it's a great point. And I think your background gives you an enormous advantage. And I hope you don't hold this against me, but I am a recovering CPA and even a Mm -hmm. a prior cost accountant. I repent every day uh, (laughs) for for that worldview. And I think one of the big problems, uh, Reginald, is accounting is not a theory. So it doesn't model anything. It was never designed to be a theory. It just simply records past financial transactions. And I think one of the advantages that somebody with your background can bring is you can model theories. And, and you look at accounting and you point out all these problems with it, which, which um, I, I think are fantastic. And I'm just going to go ahead and dive in because I've got so much. I know Ed's got a lot he wants to talk with you about. But you say in your book, Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, um, that cost accounting is a bad practice. You don't need to do it. And there's three reasons it's a bad practice. It creates and forces math and relationships that don't exist. It lose, You lose touch with operations. And it creates meaningless numbers that people consider gospel, which is so true. All three of those are perfect condemnations of, of cost accounting. But kind of explain them just for our listeners, those three, and and, and why do you think they're so uh, important? Sure. 
So let's talk. Let's start with uh, the relationships. When you think about, so when when I started doing the modeling, um, the, the, I I said if I put a box around a company and I looked at the num the the money that came into the company, and I call that revenue. It's pretty clear. If I have a dollar more that I got from someone that I had yesterday, then that's going to affect how much cash I have, right? And then if I take a look at the money that leaves the company then I'm going to call that a cost. And now it's not ambiguous at all. I know that when money comes in, it's revenue. When it leaves, it's cost. So then I said, well, what do people spend most, you know, why do cost exist? And so I said, well, cost exists really for two reasons. Number one, I'm paying for something that I bought, right? So money, I've got to pay for it, so money leaves. Or I'm obligated when it comes to something like taxes, for instance, right? And so when I looked at that, I said, so what do people mostly buy? And what they mostly buy is things that they get in anticipation of doing work. So I, I buy people. It's kind of a, you know, excuse me, because I'm an engineer. So you mentioned being, being an, a uh, recovering accountant. So I'm an engineer, not recovering. I think I still live it. My wife will tell, probably tell you that. But, you know, from an engineer's really cold, descriptive perspective, we buy people. We buy their time, right, their knowledge. We buy space. We buy materials and equipment and information technology. So we buy these things and we pay for it, right? But with cost accounting, what we want to do is we want to put or calculate a cost on what it is that we use these things to create or do. Now, if you think about it, though, there's no relationship between what it is that I buy and how I use it. For instance... You know, you and Ed's salary, when, we talk, when you talked about the, the timesheets, right? And that was an excellent, uh, excellent podcast. I just absolutely loved it. You know, your salary doesn't change based on what it is that you do. Right. And so there's no relationship between the activities that activity-based costing tries to cost and what your salary is. The same thing with space. When I, when I take a look at lease costs, there's no relationship between how I use a space or how much of the space I lease. You know, if I lease 5,000 square feet... I only use half of it, I still have the same payments, right? So mathematically, when I take a look at buying capacity, things that I buy in anticipation of using them, there's no relationship between what it is that I'm buying and how it's being costed. Um, second, when, when you start thinking about losing touch, what happens is, so let's say that we decide that we do want to do a cost or create a cost. Then the question is, what is that cost telling us about how we got there. An example I gave in a presentation earlier this month was, or this week was, let's take an Apple Pencil. Let's say it cost Apple $25 according to their cost accounting approach to make that pencil. What do we know, or what does even Apple know about what it took to make that pencil? For instance, do they know the people involved? Do they know how efficient they were? Do we know how many of the pencils that they made? Because one of the interesting stories to me about Shark Tank is they always they will they'll say you know let's say Apple's looking for Mark Cuban to invest in their 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 uh, their new uh, uh, pen or pencil. Now Mark Cuban will say, well, how much does it cost you to make that pencil? They'll say, well, it costs us twenty five dollars. How much do you sell it for? A hundred. So you make seventy five dollars. Well, no, not really, because a again, there's no relationship between the cost and what it is that you spent, but b what we don't know is what happens if Apple spent, you know, made four billion of these pencils to get their cost per unit down to twenty-five dollars, and so there's only demand for hundred thousand of them. We don't have any insight into how many of those were produced and how much demand there is. Does that make sense? 
So everything that we need from an operating perspective to right-size the organization, to get people doing the right things, um, to get projects done on time, we have no insight into that. And then the third thing is when we talk about meaningless numbers is, so what does a cost tell you? So if I say that 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 pencil costs $25, that mean every time Apple makes one, they spend $25? No, it doesn't. They mean they save $25 if they don't make the pencil? No, they don't. And then as you mentioned with your, um, with the timesheets and, and cost accounting, that $25 is really a function of the technique I use to get it, right? Because if I use activity-based costing and come up with $25, that's, that's one number. But if I use a different cost accounting approach, I may come up with $17, and yet a third may tell me it's $40. So the question is, which one is right, and even if I have a number, it's not really telling me anything. It's not, it's not cash, so it doesn't tell me that I spent $25 or 40 or 17 to make it. So really, what is that number, and why is it of, of so much value to people? And so I think that that's where I was kind of going with this, that you've got to go through lots of hoops and create relationships that don't exist just to come up with this cost. And people grab it, and they hold on to it, and they try to manage to it and say, what can I do to reduce this cost? And all these capacity costs, even if I, you know, if I think about costs going down, it really means that I'm using less capacity to create output. It's really kind of an efficiency thing mathematically. So it doesn't mean that I've spent less money that I'm more efficient. It just means that I, I can get the same output with, with less input. And so that's really all it is. Does that make right. sense? No, I- yeah, absolutely. You make so many good points about the whole economies of scale. You know, we're going to produce 20 pencils instead of 10, and therefore our unit costs are going to decrease because we have these large fixed costs. But we just know common sense that it's going to cost more to produce 20 pencils than, than 10. You're going to have to buy more You're stuff. Right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and here's another thing. You buy more stuff to get the unit cost down, right? But what if there's only demand for 10? Right. So now I've spent more money... So I can increase my gross margin, right? My, my unit gross margin. But the, the, in the end, I've spent more cash. And here's a real live example. I had a client that was a publisher. And let's say that, and I sold Reginald, can you hold on to that example? Because we need to take oh, our first break. Absolutely. And, and Ed will uh, pick that up with you on the other side. So folks, I'd like okay. to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are here with Dr. Reginald Thomas Lee, author of Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, How Capacity Management Enables Improved Costs and Cash Flow Management. And Dr. Lee, this is Ed Kless now talking to you. Just just wanted to allow you a chance to finish out that story that you were telling uh, by giving, way of giving a great example uh, for us. So go ahead and do that, please. Well, thanks, Ed. I appreciate that. So we're talking a little bit about this notion of, of unit margins, right? And so with this particular company, let's say that they sold books for $15. And so they would go to a, a high-volume uh, printer and print out 1,000 books, let's say, for $10,000. So they said, you know, we make $15 or $14 on a book, right? $15 selling, selling price, $1 for the printing cost. And I said, you guys are killing yourself. And they said, well, why is that? And I said, well, what you should do is go to a digital printing option and f- print fewer books, you know, if you, maybe 5,000 books. And they said, yeah, but the cost is going to go up. It's going to cost us, let's say, $8,000 to print the 5,000 5, books. So that's $1.60, so that's going to eat into our margins. And I said, yeah, but you only have demand for 5,000 books. So would you rather make the 5,000 books and sales using $10,000 in cost or $8,000 in cost? So when you're focused on, on the cash flow, Instead of these archaic accounting measures, things become a lot more clear when it comes to making more money. And so that's just where I was going to go with the example that, you know, understanding demand and putting in the context of cash often takes you in a different direction than you would go with, uh, with allocated costs. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I've, I've loved about uh, reading your work these past couple of days, getting ready for the show, is it, you know just a, a very brief four-word sentence that appears on your website, which is "cost is an opinion." <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want I want to I want to know because this I, I'm probably on on the show here with two of uh, in a way the most hated people in accounting. Just exactly how much hate mail do you get from accountants about this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I get two, I get, there are two groups of people, right? There's one group of people, and I've got a, a, a good friend up at the University of Dayton, Joe Castellano, and he once told me, he said, you explain things that we accountants always knew was wrong, but didn't necessarily know why it was wrong. And I thought that was really insightful. And, there are, you know, a lot of CFOs I found have, have really bought into the, the ideas once I sit down and just talk with them about it, and they see the value of it. The people who really don't like the approach, and sometimes that ends up being me tied to the approach, are folks who do especially activity-based costing consulting. The consultants don't like me at all. Um, and I can understand that because that basically eats into their livelihood. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you're an apple farmer and someone says, well, apples are going to give you, you know, everyone cancer, and that's the sole purpose of, you know, the, the sole source of cancer, then you're going to probably fight that, right? So I, I get a lot of folks who, uh, who fight me on a fairly regular basis, but there are just a few. You know, you mentioned Gary early on, and I really personally like Gary. We've disagreed for a very long time. But, uh, you know, personally, I like them. But, you know, what I do challenges directly what it is, you know, basically how he makes money. And so I understand um, the the dislike for the ideas. Well, sure. I believe it was Upton Sinclair that said it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I'm going to have to borrow that. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's great. One one of you know one of the things I, I'm a big follower of of a guy by the name of Peter Block, who is my go to person on all things consulting. And I'm I'm a project manager by trade, and I'll we'll perhaps get back into that because per, the the one thing that might outdo the the badness of cost accounting, and that is the concept of earned value in in project management. But let's leave that aside for now. I might it make my head explode. But you know, one thing that that I've come through in 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 studying Peter Block is, uh, and he's got this 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 phrase that I just have latched onto and really love, and that is that all measurements are actually judgments in disguise. And I I, I think that that that's the thing that that too many people get stuck on, especially the 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 cost accountants, the ABC folks. And it's really a form of, um, you know, getting philosophy here, what's called logical positivism, right? It was the belief that just because we have numbers makes it scientific. And I think that's part of the, the challenge. Would you, would you agree with that? And if you could expand on that, maybe. Oh, I'd absolutely agree with it. The, you know, there are, there are a couple of things there. You know, you mentioned that, and I've heard you say that before, that measurements are, are uh, judgments in disguise. Now, let's Let's take a look at calculated costs, right? Because calculated costs aren't even measurements. They're metrics. They're calculated, right? So, you know, when I measure something, if I measure temperature, I can use different probes, you know, different thermometers mm-hmm. and get, you know, 90 degrees, 91, 90.5. I'm going to get fairly close, right? There's an absolute that's, that's kind of there. But with metrics, it's a function of the, the, the equation that I use to calculate it. So you talk about judgment. Judgment's even built into the math of the equation. So let's take these, um, these calculated costs, right? So with standard costing, I have judgments about, uh, you know, how long things should take, and I'm going to compare, you know, I'm going to calculate a cost based on how long it should take, for instance, and I'm going to compare how long it did take to how long it should take, right? So that's kind of a judgment of how long it should take. Um, activity-based costing will take, try to take a look at the actuals associated with um, what's, you know, the, the, the performance of, a, of an activity or creating a product or performing a service, right? Um, and so they, they try to argue that it's more exact because we are allocating things directly. But the problem is this, right? Going back to the original, one of the early points that Ron brought up, there's no relationship between the things that you're trying to calculate the cost of and that that's being costed. And so really what's happening is you're applying all this judgment and saying, well, the math has to be right because we're using exact values. So activity-based costing is better because we're using exact values versus standard costing. But yeah, you're, compla- you're comparing two things that have no relationship. The only reason accounting exists is because I have to create a relationship where there isn't one. You know, an example I like to give, if you don't mind that, is the, um, you know, when you take a look at phone calls, right? 
if I have, you know, back when we used to have local service, pay $25 for a month, you get infinite number of phone calls, right? But it's 10 cents a minute for a long-distance call. So a 10-minute long-distance call would cost me a dollar. There's a direct relationship between the length of the call and how much I had to pay. But if you ask someone, how much does a 10-minute local call cost, then there's silence because there's no right. relationship between buying that time and the call. So now I've got to come up with all these, well, it's about the time of the call, it's who I called, it's you know, how many calls, I mean, all these different things that create that relationship where, there, where one doesn't exist. And because, to your point, people apply math and they'll say, well, you know, according to this math, it says that it's X. And it can carry it out to so many decimal points, it's not even funny. And you're, comparing, you're creating an arbitrary mathematical number that's carried out the seven decimal places of two things that don't, don't have a relationship. You know, I can take a look. I'm looking outside down at the, at, at the city of Cincinnati, and I can take the number of trees in the backyard and divide it by number of houses and come up with a number. But what value does that number have, and why does it even matter? <laughs> Well, it might might matter to an environmentalist who wants to have more trees than houses, I suppose. But no, that's, that's, true. that's true. <laughs> but but it, but it's but you're right. It's it's still somewhat arbitrary. And one of the articles that you wrote, I, I, there's a great line in there. You said it, that's like subtracting pickup trucks from trees and proposing the answer is trees. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, Absolutely. yeah. Uh, um, well, yeah, but the other thing is, and I think you're making an important point, we've had uh, George Gilder on, and he's written a fantastic book called The Scandal of Money. And it, what I, the, 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 the interesting thing is what he's saying is that, well, because of the way that the dollar works, the dollar is subjective too. And, 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 and the example he uses is what if a ruler changed its length and then you had to measure it, for, you know, use the same measure but the ruler itself is changing its length. <laughs> you're, you'd never right. be able to, to measure something then, and that's what you're saying is happening, right? The, 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 the thing that you think is the objective measurement is not because it itself is changing. Absolutely. And so when it, when it comes to cost, that's absolutely the case. You know, the value of money, you're absolutely right, that, that can change. Um, and so what I, what I try to do, though, is, is to help people understand that even if the value of money changes, there are certain costs, you know, remember if we talk about putting a box around the company, there are certain things that, you know, whether the dollar is worth, you know, 10 yen or 8, um, I can measure what's coming in or, you know, measure what's coming in and going out. But when I've got to calculate a cost of an activity, then we're really into, into dangerous territory. And that's where that pickup line comes from, that pickup truck line comes from. You know, if, if I'm looking at the profit of something, I, I, I tell people a lot, and this activity-based costing folks hate this. Because they want to come up with the profit per customer, profit per profit per product, or whatever. If I've got to calculate that cost, it's it's an opinion. It really represents the value of the resources that I use to create a product or perform a service. It's an opinion of that value, right? So I'm going to take money that I could have coming in, let's say ten dollars. I'm going to subtract an opinion. Oh, it cost me three dollars to do this. So how can I take money, subtract an opinion, and have the answer be money? That's where the pickup tree, I mean, the pickup uh, trucks, I keep wanting to say pickup lines, and my wife's going to kill me for saying that. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, that's, that's where the idea comes from, that we really want to try to figure out how to make all these things objective so we can use real math. And for some reason, the activity-based costing folks really don't want to go there and say, well, you know, the basic premise of what it is you're doing makes no sense. You know, you want to come up with a cost to do this, a profit to do this, but the cost is made based on arbitrary relationships. 
the math to calculate profit, you know, dollars minus opinion equals dollars makes no sense. So I just really don't understand what, what it is they're trying to do. Yep. Oh, this is this is great stuff. Well, we're we're up against our next break, but to tell your wife not to worry because you know to pick up lines in, involving cost accounting or lack thereof is not going to get you very far. So don't worry about it. You're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, we are up against a break, but we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Be sure to check out our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have show notes, which we will get the show notes for this fantastic show with Dr. Lee here uh, on as early as we possibly can. But right now, we want to, to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Reginald Lee, the author of Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting. Just love that title, Reginald. It's just a great title. Um, you know, one of the things that absolutely blew my mind, I think it's one of those sticky ideas uh, from your book, it was, you know, you talk about how costing is an opinion. You, you Depending on the method you use, you, you can get a different number, whether you standard cost accounting, full absorption, ABC, lean, you know, marginal cost analysis, whatever. They're all sanctified by gap, uh, but oh. they all lead to different numbers. And then you quoted, uh, is it Seagal's law, that a man mm-hmm. with a watch knows what time it is, but a man with two watches has no idea. <laughs> I love that. That just that that floored me when I read that. Where's that law come from, by the way? You know, I don't know. I picked it up somewhere along the way, and um, I, I think I even used it in explicit cost dynamics. I don't remember where it actually came from. 
But when I was kind of going through the ideas and laying ideas out, and I thought, well, gee, if I can come up with a different number, that's really what he's talking about. I really, because it's, it's, it's funny, Ron, you, you talk to someone and they say, well, I know that this, this Apple Pencil cost me $25. And I say, well, yeah, but I can come up with a different approach and tell you it's twenty two fifty. so which one is it? Right. You know? No, it's and absolutely so, true. Yeah, it, it, it is. And so people don't always look at it that way. It kind of goes back to Ed's point. Why well, use so much math and we spent so much time, I think you guys quoted, what, 12, 15% of an organization focusing on cost accounting stuff at one point. And for what purpose? To tell you that it costs $25 when, you know, someone can come along and say, no, it's really twenty two fifty if you use this, this approach. And so, uh, yeah, I don't remember where I picked that up. I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> so, yeah, <I'm> <laughs> no, it's early 50s. I, so I forget things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you did because I am now that's just part of my repertoire. I just love that law and it's so profound and, and it really does. Uh, it's even swayed a couple of accountants. You'll be happy to know. Uh, you know, the other line I loved in your book is you say companies spend, you know, millions of dollars to manage costs that have nothing to do with money. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is. Uh, you, you, um, one of the things, ever since I read H. Thomas Johnson's book, Profit Beyond Measure, and, and some of his other writings as well, and he's a former, I mean, he's a professor of accounting, and I think he teaches cost accounting. And I think somebody went up to him, he talks about this uh, story in his book, Profit Beyond Measure. Somebody came up to him at the end of a conference and said, have you ever studied Toyota? And he said, no, why? And he said, well, because they don't use standard cost accounting. And he didn't believe them. And so he went to Toyota and he hung out, I guess, for like five years and studied them. And that book is a result of that study. Hmm. And he makes a lot of the same arguments you do, Reginald, about, about costing and, and how they don't explain the relationships of an interdependent system and why Toyota doesn't let cost accounting uh, data, standard cost accounting data, influence its operations and uh-huh. I think this is what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to synthesize finance, accounting, cash flow modeling, and operations, whereas cost accounting just atomizes everything. Yep, you're absolutely right. What, what a, you know, if you think about it, I've got this diagram that I use that really describes this. And that's, if you look at time, what I do is I buy things and I spend money on it. That's mostly capacity, right? Your people, space materials, equipment, and then I do things and I make things. So that's really where the focus of the organization is. When I, you know, I perform services, I make products, I do things in the business, and that's where we want to make sure that we're doing the best job that we can as an organization. And then you pointed out this in a few of your, your podcasts, the accounting just kind of describes what happens at that point. So I take all this information that's really objective I plug it into the subjective, you know, they think it's subjective because it's math, but it's really subjective in terms of how I allocate two things with no relationship, right? And I come up with numbers on the back end, and then they focus on the back end, and I'm trying to say, no, don't focus on the back end, focus on that that creates the back end. And if I improve that that creates the back end, you know, you guys did a fantastic podcast that was talking about predictive measures, and when you talked about Continental Airlines, if we can do things that bring our customers in and make them happy. And you talked about, you know, if the food's not here, send the plane and comp the folks. That's going to bring people back into the organization. And like you suggested, that's where the business happens and the accounting has no insight into, into all that. If I tell you that, like, like we said with the Apple Pencil, if I say it costs $25, I have no insight into what happened upstream or even the technique that I use to get it. 
And so what right. use is that other than to say, well, you know, it's, it's really kind of funny. A friend of mine, Greg Grevy, and uh, Greg and I, Greg is a great character, and he explained this process that he dealt with as you know, VP of operations for a company where, you know, accounting will come in after they close the books and say, these are our results. And then they try, try to understand and they go to operations and say, this is what we found. Now let's try to fix it in the third week. And there's, you know, we're running negative variances. And the operation says, well, we thought we did a good job. How do I fix this? And finance says, well, I don't know, because it's time for us to leave and close the books next time, right? So now they're quoting accounting numbers. <laughs> operations is trying to figure out how do I turn that into operations, and then accounting leaves because they've got to go on and start closing the books again. And so my thought is if we can get upstream so that we're talking the same language about what we're buying, how well we're using it, what the objectives and the strategy of the firm are, then we can start talking about where we need to invest time, how we need to focus on being able to deliver things more efficiently and effectively, then if we do that, then the numbers should take care of themselves. It's just math. I'm putting better numbers in, and so I should get better numbers out regardless of the allocation technique that I use. Right, and and we're not arguing, and people mistake this all the time, that we don't we wouldn't have any data without cost accounting. No, you, you've modeled cash flow, and like you say, capacity management, and ever since reading Johnson's book, I've been fascinated by companies that don't use standard cost accounting. Uh, hotels uh-huh. don't use it, cruise ships, and, and airlines, because like you say in your book, it, capacity is the number one cost. What matters to them is the yield on that capacity. Right. Not trying to allocate how much does it cost the maid to clean the room. It, it's almost right. pointless. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that you get to, and, and again, I really appreciate your, your philosophy on this. You've talked about this before. And that is, you know, if I spend $10 for my organization, I'd like to be able to figure out how to make the most amount of money I can for that $10. And so I align the organization with doing things that will generate the revenue, right? The right, the, the right things. And I, you know, doing that for $10 is going to put me in a better situation than doing it for $15, right? And so the extent to which I can manage the organization, like you're talking about with cruise ships and, and hotels, if I can get the right things out, that calculated cost really doesn't matter. It's what is it that we're doing and how is that turning into the experience that our customers want that bring them back, that allow them to spend more money with the infrastructure that we've created for them. You know, I think this is kind of goes to the debate between, I know, Johnson and Kaplan, because they wrote the book, you know, The Rise of Managing Accounting, or I forget the name of the book exactly, but it kind of launched the ABC movement, and they've been feuding ever since, and Kaplan's kind of like managed by results, and Johnson is managed by means, which he kind of lays out in his book, and, and I think he's got the better argument, because it's like you said, Reginald, you got to go back and look at the process. You can't just look at the result. It's a problem with accountants. They come in after the war and ban at the wounded. Right. Right. And that's really unfortunate. Um, and the there's a push. I saw recently an article that, um, that Kaplan had written, letter to the editor of cost management, that talked about the need to use cost accounting data or managerial accounting data. And you're absolutely right. In fact, I, I prepared a response to that um, that I'm going to be sending off to the, uh, to the journal. But it's, it's, you're, we're not talking about not giving managers better data. The assumption is that accounting data, managerial accounting data is the better data that they need to have. And my response is it really isn't. We can come up with better, more objective data that explains things that are going on without creating those subjective and arbitrary relationships. And I, I, I can't understand why someone would think that objective 
non-arbitrary information is not better than subjective arbitrary relationships. <laughs> I just don't, don't understand that. But again, maybe that's the mathematician in me. No, yeah, I think you're right. You know, I just want to, before I, I'm going to ask you about your uh, your great article, how you how we overstate ROI. But I just wanted to point out, Henry Ford, uh, in a lot of ways, was a pretty smart guy. He wrote his, uh, his uh, autobiography called My Life and Work in 1922. And he said this, he said, you know, no one knows what a cost should be. And boy, is that always stuck in my mind, right? Because uh -huh. he says, we challenge all of our costs. And the way we do it is we start with the price and work backwards. Of course, he was trying to put a car in every garage, but the logic is still the same. Nobody knows what a cost should be. And yet we all kind of take it for granted and then start fighting over the allocation of that cost. Just uh -huh. it seems backwards to me. You, in, in your article, How We Overstate ROI, you give the hospital example, and you do something I think re that's really smart. You divide costs into cash costs and non-cash costs. Can you explain the fallacy in saying that, oh, we save seven grand a day or whatever it is, a grand a day for every patient that, that's not here? Oh, yeah. So I was talking to a hospital group, and... Um, the friend of mine was talking about uh, process improvements and trying to get patients out faster. And his argument was, well, it's calculated cost that, you know, it's calculated at $7,000 per day um, for a patient to be in a hospital. And so if we can reduce the number of patient days by 1,000, then we'll save $7 million. <laughs> and I just said, you've got to be kidding me. You can't believe that. And what, you know, before we go into why that's wrong, imagine the investments that would be made. Someone says, you know, let's spend a million dollars on a software system that can help us um, get patients out faster. Because right. if we can spend a million dollars and we save seven, then guess what? We've got a six to one ROI on our hands. Why would we not want to do this? And here's the problem with that. Most of that $7,000 will be allocated costs, right? So I've got the space that the hospitals and I've got the people who work in the hospitals, the bed and the, all the expensive equipment, right? And so what they do is they'll say, well, let's allocate these costs to a patient who's, who is, is in the hospital. And so for a patient to be in the hospital for a day, they consume about $7,000 of resources, right? So that, the assumption is that that $7,000 is money. And so that's why when people, you know, especially when it comes to software, software is really, really good with this. They'll come up with this number, and it's really the a particular, an opinion of value that's consumed to perform an activity or to, to create a product, right? They'll come up with an opinion of the value and say, well, that's money. And it's be I think it's because uh, the units are dollars. And so I've got this thing that's not really money because it's like I said with the Apple Pencil, the hospital doesn't pay anybody $7,000 for a patient to be there. So what you can't do, for instance, is look at a bill and say, I was there for five days, and so these are the $7,000 per day that they paid to someone as, in cash as a result of my being there. That's not going to happen. So that's a non-cash cost. And so what I did was I said, well, if I can see the money leaving the organization, that's cash, but all this calculated stuff, that's not cash. So any accounting allocation technique that you're using to calculate a cost is not cash. So that $7,000 that the hospitals use to, to, uh, as a calculation, that's not cash. The $25 for the pencil, that's not cash. When Oracle and SAP come in and tell you that your people are going to be more efficient and you're going to save this money, that's not cash. 
That's just a value of the resources that are saved as a result of becoming more efficient. And so what I tried to do is help people understand that if I calculate something in dollars, that does not automatically make it cash. And the example I give is, you know, I weigh about 225 pounds, so I can't take my 225 pounds and buy something in a store in London. Even though they have the same, the same <laughs> name as units, that doesn't mean that they're the same thing. And so this value, this opinion, that's not cash. I try to help companies become aware of the fact that just because I calculated this value doesn't mean it's the same as money leaving your organization. So you really have to be aware of it because imagine that hospital paying a million dollars for that software and not saving any money as a result of patients leaving earlier. Then what happens? They're in a worse position off cash flow wise because they made an investment that's not paying off in cash returns. Right. You know, not only are you blowing a hole in ROI, on, on a lot of software vendors, but you're also doing it to the lean and Six Sigma folks who come in and make the same category mistake about, oh, we can make you much more efficient and save all this money. And it doesn't because they're not touching the cash cost. I, I think your cash and non-cash cost is such a simplification and a profound one. And I don't mean simplified. I mean simple, like EMC squared is simple, but profound um, right. <laughs> over the whole variable, semi-variable, fixed, you, you know, all the all the lingo that, uh, you know, the cost accountants cloaked themselves. Unfortunately, Reginald, we're up against another break. And folks, we'd like sure. to remind you, you can visit the show and we'll have full, full show notes and where you can find Reginald and his book at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
The book is Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting by Reginald Thomas Lee, who's our guest today on The Soul of Enterprise. And Reginald, I want to ask you, I, I, the one video I did find of you on the web, on, on YouTube, t- you were talking a little bit about pricing. So I'm going to shift over to the, the price side of things. And mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite philosophers is a, a guy by the name of Lawrence Peter Berra, otherwise known as Yogi Berra. Uh, and he mm-hmm. said, our problem, was, our problem was that we made the wrong mistakes. And <laughs> one, of the wrong, <laughs> one of the wrong mistakes that I see businesses making over and over again is rolling up costs and then trying to develop a price from those costs. But would you believe, as we do, that it's – but actually price does not come from cost, but, but, but price actually justifies – the expenditure of cost, and wouldn't a business be better off spending more time being concerned about its pricing than worrying about costs? I, I couldn't have stated that really any better because you know I was in the in the presentation I mentioned earlier this week. Um, someone asked me about cost plus, and I said, you know, how many times do you buy something and you know, you know what the cost is of what it is you're buying? You have no idea what it is, but you have a perception of why that's valuable to you. In that particular situation, you know, why do we pay $6 for water at a ballpark? Because it's hot and, you know, you can get a six-pack of Avion in a grocery store for $6 and you complain about that, but you're going to buy, you know, water out of a tap for $6 in the ballpark. And so I think that if we can focus on what it is that people are willing to pay for our services and even thinking through what is it, what additional value can I add to my, my services or products that can convince people that it's worth that extra dollar per that makes such a big difference because, like we talked about, most of the, the company's co- uh, costs are in its capacity. So it's not really going to change if I can make more water bottles, and especially if there's not demand for the extra water bottles. I mean, you know, what's that going to do for you? But if I can get that extra dollar, 50 cents, or $10,000, or whatever it is for my product, I absolutely agree that you're in a better position um, organizationally than if you're trying to figure out how can I make, you know, create lower costs by focusing on efficiency when there may not even be demand for what it is you're selling. Yeah, pricing is so huge. One of the the guests that we've had on previously, a guy by the name of Jules Goddard, who's a professor, is at London Business School, Ron? I think that's where, where he's, he's out so, of, right? so, yeah. And his book, uh, Commons, Common Sense or Uncommon Sense, Common Nonsense, one of the things that he talked about uh, is that he believes that the, the profit and loss statement of businesses should be completely reversed, meaning... We should have we should have much more detailed breakouts of revenue, and then just one line that says, "Okay, and here's what we spent." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I and I and, and I think that 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 is I I think we need to really begin to to push that idea because to me where where we're getting our revenue from, where we're creating value, and how we're creating value in others is is really the the, the crux of the matter. It's not not any of this cost stuff. We can just uh, roll everything up into a bundle of costs, just be done with it. We we know what we know primarily what they, those are. Let's 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 worry about the the revenue and value creation side. You're you're right. And an example of a company I worked for was um, a bid came out. Let's say the bid was four hundred units. And they thought, well, our, our calculated cost for this 100 units is too high, so if we did do cost plus, the, reven- the price is going to be too high. So what they did was they said, what happens if we build a lot of these things, get our cost down, then we can, we can have a greater margin, right? So to your point, 
they completely ignored what it is we need to do from a, a revenue side and focused on all these details and spent more money to Ron's point trying to build extra capacity or extra units that we're not even going to use. There's no demand for it. There's no need for it. So, you know, companies make such bad decisions focusing on cost when, like you say, they should really be focusing on, on revenue and the sources of it. Reginald, give me, this is Ron again. Given your background in engineering, I would imagine you're a fan of, of Gold Rats, the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. he he's got a video out there and it's really poor sound quality, but and I think it was towards the latter part of his life, maybe the last couple of years of his life, but he was just railing against cost accounting and saying how flimsy and you know, all the arguments you make against it and Johnson make against it. Um so it it's we're not we're not lone voices in the wilderness. There, <laughs> there, there are some. There's some big support for this, but it just seems so hard to diffuse into the business world. You know, cost accounting has been around for 200 years. It's been the same. You know, people talk about different approaches, and it's, it's really the same thing. How do I take that $25 for the phone call and calculate a cost for a tele? I mean, for the phone service and calculate a phone call, right? People wrap, have, have so much emotion wrapped up into this concept that it's hard to break it. It's really hard to break it. But, you know, I'm hoping that uh, a friend of mine said, if you speak loudly enough, people ultimately hear you. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, Professor Johnson, you and I and all the others who are saying there's a different way of looking at this can ultimately break through. Because one of the things that's important to me is keeping jobs, keeping families together, keeping communities together, and the extent to which we're making bad cost decisions and sending jobs away that we may not need to send away just destroys families. You know, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, and we had six GM divisions, and they're gone. And just to see that happening is so frustrating. It's just, just unfortunate. And given the fact that you're from Dayton, you know, where the Wright brothers were, I also think this focus on cost does something else that's pretty pernicious, which is it stifles innovation. Oh, yeah. It really does. Especially now, because like, like we talked about, there's so many people focus on cost that, oh, what's the cost of this innovation? Or what's the cost to create this product? And there's so much focus on that that people are afraid to try things and break. And where does innovation come from if you're not out there trying things? Well, that didn't work. Let me try this. But at now, you're, you're being beaten over the head by these, uh, you know, again, the timesheets that you guys talked about that... You know, people are afraid to innovate or there's such a focus on the lack of innovation that, uh, you know, you get worried about where the new idea is going to come from. And new ideas create industries to create them and serve them, which means jobs. Right. Yeah. We always talk about how innovation is the antithesis of efficiency and the focus on efficiency and cost accounting and all this, I think, just drives out innovation. But Reginald, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. We will post full show notes, links to your work and your website and all of that. Couldn't thank you enough for being on the soul of enterprise. And Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, we have another interview, Ron. We're going to be talking with a friend of mine, uh, Professor Timothy Cho from Stanford University, about Internet of Things and cloud computing and all things on, new on the horizon. Fantastic. I look forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world 
through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please check out thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post full show notes with our great guest, Dr. Reginald Lee. And uh, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next week. Have a great weekend.